Hey everyone, this is Jose. Thank you so much for hanging in there. We have been away for a little bit, but now we're back and we have a really exciting topic. I think exciting at least to IO psychologists to talk about today. Still debatable. <laughs> Fair enough. The debate is exciting. The fact that it is under debate is quite exciting. This is Nick. It's good to be back. Today, we're going to be talking about performance appraisal at work. So we've all experienced some kind of performance evaluation, right? In fact, I'd say we're actually accustomed to being evaluated. From our very first year of school, we're evaluated based on how well we share and get along with others. We're evaluated on our math and writing skills and even athletic abilities in gym class. And so while, while gym class evaluations might bring back bad memories for me, workplace performance reviews seem to be the subject of a particularly special kind of loathing for employees and managers. And so this really begs the question, are these performance reviews absolutely necessary? And if so, is there a better way of doing them? I'm Nicholas Bremner. I'm Jose Espinoza. And you're listening to Mind Your Work. A podcast about social science and work and what happens when you put these things together. The title of the subheading here in our notes says nobody likes performance appraisals. Um, and there's good reason for that. And unfortunately, I have to tell you guys about what performance appraisals are and go through the somewhat uninteresting details and set kind of the stage before we talk about the more interesting stuff, like why we're using them, should we use them or not, and if there are better alternatives. But really what we can kind of distill it down to is there's lots of different components in performance appraisals. You might think about it in terms of uh, your annual review with your manager, but there's lots of different components that go into its design that you may or may not think about. And so it's actually a lot more complex than, than one might think. So first you've got the frequency, right? Which is typically annual, I would say. Um, so if you think about your annual performance reviews, that's you know an annual cadence, obviously. But sometimes you have uh, performance reviews every half, um, sometimes you have it every quarter, and sometimes you have a continuous feedback kind of system, which I think is a little bit more rare and a bit more modern. And, and I think it's important to talk about that distinction where I think traditionally we're talking about performance appraisals were almost always annual. And there seems to have been this, this shift to more consistent, more frequent performance appraisals, where there's even lots of platforms, particularly online platforms that organizations use where managers are sometimes providing like daily ratings of people's performance, or ideally, like you were saying, providing feedback, whether that's actually narrative feedback written in some form or just a rating. Yeah, exactly. There's lots of tech platforms uh, that are also recognition-based. So they go into providing almost anyone the opportunity to provide you know, praise or feedback to their, to their colleagues um, or sometimes to their manager. So that this is happening more often. Another aspect that is really important to talk about that I would say most people don't focus on, but that IO psychology has focused probably way too much time on over the past uh, probably 100 years or so, is the actual scale used to rate someone. So you've got uh, absolute rating scales where you you know don't compare. You're just basically rating someone's performance. Um, then you've got comparative rating scales where you're comparing someone's performance to someone else, kind of like a rank ordering um, or force distributions fits in there as well. And then you've got uh, a frequency scale where you're kind of rating how often someone engages in a certain kind of behavior. And some of these scales are better than others, but it's, it's an important design component that has implications for you know, how fair the overall system is, which we'll talk about in a little bit. 
Yeah, and, and I think that's probably why IO Psychologist is, has been so concerned with it, because it's a really tangible piece of performance appraisal. And we can say, well, how do we improve the accuracy of this? How do we make it fairer? How do we make sure that we're getting different ratings for people? Because we'll talk about all the problems that come when you force managers to rate all of their subordinates or or other colleagues, for example, and, and they, they have to work with those people in the future. So it can be kind of hard to be fair and actually give people real ratings. Another thing we should talk about is who is actually providing the ratings, right? Yeah, absolutely. So usually what happens is, like we just mentioned, some sort of supervisor or someone above you in the chain is the one providing ratings for a person. But that's not always the case. Something that can is becoming more popular over time is doing something called 360 ratings, where the idea is we get perspectives from people who work with this person in a bunch of different capacities. So you'll get their colleagues. Sometimes you'll also get their subordinates or their direct reports to provide ratings. And in some cases, you even ask the person to rate themselves. The idea of what you're trying to do is if you get all of these different perspectives, you're getting a more complete, a more holistic picture of what their performance is actually like. The last thing that I think is important for us to talk about when setting the stage for performance appraisal is the actual content of the appraisal. So the content of a performance appraisal could be super simple, as easy as or as simple as rating someone from one to five. How good is this person at their job? It can also get a little bit more complex where you're asking multiple questions about specific aspects of that person's performance. And this really involves studying the job, getting more details on what that person does, what are the factors that require you know, success in that position, and then providing ratings on those areas. As an example, a, a really popular scale that's I think probably the most effective in the literature right now, according to IO psychologists, is the, is the bar scale or behaviorally anchored rating scales. And this really requires a lot of background work and studying the position, but you basically come up with behaviors that are indicative of high performance in the position. And then you ask the manager to say, you know, what level of proficiency is this employee at those specific behaviors? So this requires you to unpack what performance actually looks like in the job. So if you take a salesperson, rather than just saying, how good is this person at sales? One to five, you're actually saying, how often does this person, you know, keep up the, the cadence and positive energy required to, you know, cover enough ground during sales, if that's something you care about? How persuasive is this person on phone calls with potential clients? Um, things like that. So it's a, it's a little more in depth. Um, and so the content can be decided by the organization. Uh, the organization can design the appraisal. The content can also be co-created by the manager and employee in, in more of like a goal setting approach. So the employee can come up with goals for the year, the manager or managers can, can agree upon that and they kind of co-create that. And then they, they measure up to see if they've actually met those goals for the year. And then performance and also developmental feedback could be based on that. And that kind of leads to the last piece, which is the debrief or kind of conclusion part. So when it comes to the debrief, what we're talking about is that most performance appraisals have some sort of point where the person being rated gets to sit down with someone who talks them through their ratings. Usually this is your manager. So your manager will sit down with you, bring you in basically for a mini sort of discussion about what your ratings were, where you might find improvement. And like how Nick mentioned earlier, if you have some sort of goal setting component, this is usually where the goal setting happens. We talk about where you want to improve, where you want to go, and then we set goals for the next performance appraisal when we come back and do this all over again. So the reason we wanted to take a little bit of time and talk about these components of performance appraisal, talk about how frequent they are, what the content is, who the raters are, that sort of thing, is because we want to really emphasize that performance appraisals, although they seem simple on the surface for most people, the way that they interact with them is, hey, you know, once a year, my manager sits down with me 
and talks to me about how I did this year. Did I meet X quotas? What ratings am I getting on customer service? That sort of thing. They're actually really complex mechanisms that organizations spend a lot of time thinking about. They they spent a lot of resource and, and money to try and perfect this system. And often they don't work very well. So we want to talk about why that's the case when we come back. Okay, we're back. And I hope we haven't overwhelmed you with too much information here, but the main thing we want you to take away is that performance appraisals are complex. They take a lot of effort and sometimes they don't work very well. And we're gonna talk about why they don't work very well. And I would say the primary reason is because there are two main purposes for employee evaluations, I would say, that are in direct conflict with one another and organizations sometimes mix them up and this creates problems. So the first reason why people evaluate employees or why organizations evaluate employees is to differentiate high versus low performers. This is what's known as a competitive evaluation or between person evaluation, where you're actually comparing people to one another because you want to determine basically who's the best and who's the worst. And this is for managing people out if they're not doing very well, or it's for promoting people or doing salary increases if people are doing very well. Now, the reason why that's one of the major purposes of performance appraisals is that I think it's the first reason why we did them, right? We wanted to figure out how to do this in some sort of fair way when it came to promoting people or firing people or providing bonuses, that sort of thing, right? So it's a pretty noble idea, this giving someone a fair evaluation so then you can actually reward people accordingly. Yeah, you need something objective to back it up, exactly. So the second main reason, which is probably arguably a, a more recent reason for doing employee evaluation is to provide developmental feedback. And this is a more within-person approach where you're looking at the strengths and weaknesses or development opportunities for a single individual. And this requires taking a really close look at how someone is doing at certain aspects of their job um, or at all aspects of their job to try and help them improve as an employee. And so the two purposes here, competitive evaluation versus developmental feedback are in conflict with one another. Part of what's happening is when you ask people to differentiate between high versus low performers, I think you're asking them to make some really hard distinctions between people that might or might not be there, right? If I'm forced to basically choose who's better, either Nick or James, I'm going to have to maybe overplay one of their strengths and downplay another person's strengths in order to make that distinction. But when we were talking about developmental feedback, part of what's happening is I can look really closely at James's skills and what they actually are really good at and also look at their weaknesses without feeling like I'm going to be hurting James's chances at promotion, for example, because I know they're essentially going to be able to work on those weaknesses to improve for the future. Yeah. And even as a, as a fellow employee, um, I don't want James to do poorly, but I definitely want right. to get the promotion over him. And so I want to be evaluated more favorably than him, but I also have interest in seeing him succeed as a colleague, right? So there's a whole bunch of, like, one thing we, we alluded to previously was fairness. And this is the, really the, the, the key piece behind performance appraisal is perceptions of fairness and equity. 
I want to feel that my performance is being evaluated fairly. You know, if I, if I, if I think I'm the best and unfortunately most people think they're the best, um, everyone thinks they're above average, which you know, sets yeah. us up for, for difficulty here in the first place. If you think you're above average, you want to be evaluated in a way that's consistent to your self-perception. And if you're evaluated in an inconsistent way to that, you need some kind of objective evidence to really persuade the person and explain to them why they're not doing as well as they thought they were. But then a developmental conversation is, it's really fundamentally different because it's not about other people, it's just about you. It's about saying what you're really good at, what strengths you should leverage going forward, and then what development areas you need to kind of work on or maybe, you know, don't focus on too much, but at least prevent them from, from causing too much harm going forward. So one of the major problems that we have with the performance appraisal and why sometimes they're not so great is that organizations find that they need to be able to differentiate between high versus low performers for all of the things that we talked about, promotions and yes, letting people go as well and bonuses. And even for finding people who are struggling and putting them on performance improvement plans so that they can actually overcome their weaknesses and improve themselves. But at the same time, that clashes with the kinds of conversations you want to have when you're trying to develop people. And unfortunately, what often happens is because they're so complicated and because they tend to be expensive in terms of time and resources, organizations tend to use the same performance appraisal for both purposes. And this creates huge problems, uh, specifically in terms of the way people rate other individuals. There's already a lot of bias in performance appraisals. There's a bias called halo error, where if you think someone is good at one thing, you're going to assume they're good at a whole bunch of other things. So if I think that, if I observe Jose talking to clients and you know he's super charismatic, he's he's got great conversation, I'm going to assume potentially that he's also really orderly and he he keeps track of his client accounts very well. I'm going to assume that he's basically doing a good job across the board. So I basically there's this halo over his head. He, he can do no wrong because I've seen him do something really well in one context. The opposite of that is Horn's effect, where if I see someone do something poorly, I'm going to assume they do everything poorly. You just think this person's universally incompetent. And so these two forms of bias are much more prevalent when you're differentiating high versus low performers because you go in with the objective of trying to separate people from one another. Um, you've got to put someone in the top quadrant versus the bottom quadrant. And the easiest way to do that is to just assume they're universally good or bad. And all of these different problems with performance appraisals kind of add up to one really difficult thing to overcome. And that's no matter how many times we do it, no matter what organization you look at it in, people don't like performance appraisals. We know that 90% of employees and managers straight up just don't want to do them. They take a lot of time and resources that people don't have. And on top of that, we know that they're demotivating even for the people who do well on them. Even being the person who's at the top of the list on the performance appraisal, it doesn't seem to have the effect that you would expect to motivate you, to make you feel like you're really at the top of your game and to, for you to continue performing that way. So not only do they seem to not work very well at either of these purposes because we often mix them, people don't like doing them or being part of them either. So altogether, this sets up what I like to think of as kind of the paradox of performance appraisals. We have lots of trouble with them. They seem to actually not work very well and people don't like them. So why are we doing them in the first place? And a lot of organizations have moved to saying, well, we don't have to do them at all. We're going to get rid of them and replace them with something else or replace them with nothing at all. But I think if you were to ask most IELTS psychologists, they would say that's probably not such a good idea. So there's some recent literature that 
was published that helped frame this debate a little bit. Uh, one of them is called Getting Rid of Performance Ratings, Genius or Folly, a debate. And it's a debate paper between two different groups of Iowa psychologists who are, you know, debating should, you know, one, one group believes we should get rid of the performance appraisals. Another group believes that we should keep them. The main reason uh, put forth by the group saying we should get rid of them is that basically we've done a terrible job at doing performance appraisals in the past and that we should basically throw in the towel and, and figure out something else. On the side of those who don't think we should get rid of them, uh, and this, in my opinion, is probably the most compelling argument is that no matter what, we are always measuring performance. You can't get away from it. You're always evaluating employees or managers or whatever. Um, we're either doing it on paper, which is you know somewhat subjective, and we're not doing a great job at it. I, I agree with that. Or we're doing it in our heads, which is, is significantly more problematic and subject to even more biases and result in an even more complete, incomplete appraisal of performance. So in line with these concerns is the issue of legal defensibility. It's something that we often don't think about in terms of what happens when you get rid of performance appraisals. But a major advantage is that all of the paperwork that comes from the documentation of your performance appraisal, annual, semi-annual, etc., is that should there be reason for dismissal for an employee, or should you have to defend why you promoted one employee over the other, you have at least some sort of basis based on a structure that you developed beforehand that was communicated in terms of the content of the appraisal to the employees that you can actually point to and say, look, we tried our best to make this an equitable process. Everyone should have had a fair chance to either perform well enough in our system or not well enough in order to get this promotion or to stay when the layoffs came, that sort of thing. So performance appraisals provide a basis that allows you to do something that is not just what should we do with these people now that we have them here? But should we ever be challenged legally? Do you have something to turn to? And so while performance evaluation doesn't guarantee that the system is effective and unbiased and works well, it's at least a requirement. It's something we have to do better, but I don't think it's something we can completely turn away from. So considering that we're not really happy with the way we're doing performance appraisals now, are there any alternatives out there that actually make things better or at least more palatable for our employees? So let's talk about alternatives to performance appraisals. And to be honest, there aren't really that many of them. We have the alternative of not doing any kind of performance appraisal whatsoever. So just removing that entire rating process. We have the concept of replacing performance appraisal with coaching conversations. So exclusively looking at it from a developmental lens. And let's talk about what we'll term pseudo appraisals, which are Alternatives to performance appraisal that claim to not measure performance, but still do. <laughs> so I think if you've been listening to us talk about this at all during the entire podcast, the first thing you should probably take away is that we're not sure you should just get rid of your performance appraisal. Not doing an appraisal at this point doesn't seem like an appropriate option. Like we said before, if you don't assess performance, how are you going to make decisions between what manager should get a promotion or who should you fire when it comes time to reduce the workforce? Or even if you, all you want to do is improve the performance of your employees, how are you going to know who's struggling and in what areas are they struggling in order to provide them training, provide them workshops, provide them assistance? In terms of removing performance appraisals, you can't 
really completely remove them. I don't think any organization would, you know, eliminate the entire system, the the whole performance management system, because you still, like Jose said, you need to make these decisions. So there's still some kind of evaluation being made. And some people might say, oh, I know who is doing well and who is doing poorly in my organization because I see them working day in and day out. That might make sense. You might have a good sense of, of how well people are doing, but at the same time, you're still making an evaluation. And if you don't formally document that evaluation, A, you're subject to more bias because it is harder for people to make complex decisions all in their head. And then B, you need to document if you're going to defend yourself legally. A second alternative to performance appraisals is shifting things to developmental conversations or, or coaching conversations where employees and managers are, are co-creating goals together, where there's no, let's say, formal quantitative measure being used. And the employee and manager are just kind of working together to ensure that you know good work is being done. I think this is a great potential way of handling things from a developmental perspective, because you know it, it potentially creates a good continuous feedback culture, which is something that organizations are really focusing on. And I think it can result in good performance. It just still makes things difficult from a competitive or comparative angle. Additionally, one of the complaints that people have about performance appraisal is that they take up a lot of time and a lot of resources, including mentally, and asking your managers to be now a coach in addition to all of their other roles and be really good at this, be really good at sitting with their direct reports and talking about what they want out of their job and setting goals and following up on those goals and making sure there's appropriate feedback along the way. And if you're doing something like goal setting right, you're actually going to be adjusting goals throughout the process and making sure that they are challenging enough, but not enough that they're dis- they're actually discouraging for that employee. All of this is really complicated stuff. There's a reason why there are professional coaches. So asking your manager not to take on this burden is actually something that is going to make your performance appraisal, even if you're not calling it that, even more burdensome than it was if it was just a set of ratings on a set of dimensions. That's, that's a really good point. And I mean, it requires you to have... Um, managers in your culture who are good coaches and who see coaching as part of their job. So it, it, it complicates things further, for sure. Another alternative that we think deserves special mention is Deloitte's reinvention of performance management. This is a very lightweight approach that Deloitte started doing, I think after 2012 or something like that, or, or maybe a little more recent. Um, but it was covered in HBR in 2015, and we can link you to the article there. But generally, It involves four simple questions around performance that I believe the manager is responsible for answering after the conclusion of a project. So the actual rating process happens in kind of a staggered way that's personalized to the employee. So if I I finish a three-month project, my manager is asked to opine on how I did right after that. So this is a really great component of this um, system, I think, because performance is easier to more accurately evaluate immediately after or closer to the actual instance of performance versus an annual review where the person has to look back across the entire year and, you know, sum up that person's performance, uh, which is very, very difficult to do and is subject to, you know, recency bias and and things like that, where, you know, you just think about the most recent stuff that someone did. Um, The second component of this performance process or this performance evaluation process is it's simple. It's lightweight. So the the managers ask four different items um, and they're quite different actually. So the first one is given what I know of this person's performance, and if it were my money, I would award this person the highest possible compensation increase and bonus. So asking the person to opine on if they actually deserve more money. Second is 
given what I know of this person's performance, I would always want him or her on my team, which really just kind of measures how well this person works well with others. It also kind of measures the person's sentiment or like opinion of the employee. Like, do I, do I like this person? I think that's rolled into it as well. And then the third and fourth ones actually just ask the person to rate whether that person is at risk for low performance. That's number three. And the fourth is asking the, the manager if this person is ready for promotion today. So it actually asked the, the employer manager to opine on the administrative decision component, just asking the person to do that calculation in their head and express their opinion on it. So you're not expressly rating performance, like how good did this person do? How are their skills or how is the performance? It's kind of a, a different way of packaging this. Yes. And, and I think that's the important bit here, even though in part they're saying this is changing and moving away from performance appraisal. I think what we're really seeing here is that this is just simply a different kind of performance appraisal. All that it's doing is it's just changing the frequency of when you're actually rating performance and it's changing the content of the dimensions, right? We're still asking people to make judgments about people's performance. I cannot know if you're right. at risk for low performance or not if I don't make some sort of judgment about your performance on this project or over this quarter, depending on when I'm doing the rating, right? Yeah, exactly. And so it's it's making the person do all the mental gymnastics and evaluations in their head and potentially simplifying the rating process up front. But I don't know what this would look like from a legal defensibility standpoint. Like if you're, let, let, let's say hypothetically, if there's a class action lawsuit from employees who don't think they were given a fair chance at promotions um, and that the company is promoting a certain group of people more than the other. Would the organization point back to saying, oh, these people consistently received ratings from their managers saying, I think this person's ready for promotion? What objective evidence do you have to point to the fact that that person deserved that rating? Could someone just be playing favorites? So I, I, I just feel like you still have a huge amount of bias here the one piece that I think is great is linking ratings to specific instances of performance. So project-based work, having that performance rating, um, those two instances coupled together, I think is really, really great that we should be carrying forward. I just don't know how I feel about the items themselves. Yeah. One of the things we discussed as well is the potential that maybe what we're looking at here using just five items is the notion that most performance appraisal systems tend to be really burdensome because they tend to be very long. You spent a lot of time rating people on different dimensions, different kinds of behaviors, et cetera. So maybe what we're doing here with these five items is saying, well, maybe we put this at the front of our performance appraisal and say, can we do this first? Find people who might be at risk for low performance, find people who maybe are ready for promotion, and then use that as a way to start more conversations or do a different performance appraisal for those people who really need them to find the areas that they need to involve in and, and really improve their skills in? Or, or, is it, or is this the entirety of the system? I am really concerned with the idea that we're going to be able to make really accurate, really stable decisions from just these five items, uh, well, actually four items, in order to, to kind of assess everything that performance entails. Because I, I want to make sure that we're clear. I think both of us are on the same side here, that this is still a performance appraisal. Yeah, it definitely is. I, I like the idea of potentially bucketing someone into, let's say, promotion or requiring performance improvement, and then requiring the managers or other employees to substantiate those ratings with more evidence. Um, that could be a potential alternative. That could be lighter weight. Um, because then if someone doesn't, if you don't think someone deserves a promotion, but they also, um, you know, don't need to be managed out as a low performer or, or managed up as a low performer, you don't really need to go into too much detail. They're just kind of an average performer and you leave it at that. That could simplify things. 
So I think the last thing we want to discuss is using technology to shift the burden of performance appraisal and the problems with human error away from people towards some sort of technology or some sort of digital platform. So I think if you take one thing away from this episode, it's that we need to do performance appraisal better. And with you know the improvements in technology, there are new potential avenues for evaluating performance, especially in a digital age where employees are doing things on computers, interacting and communicating using technology. Um, we're leaving behind traces of our behavior, what's known as digital exhaust. And you could actually potentially leverage this digital exhaust to evaluate someone's performance. So for example, we email each other, we chat with each other on Slack or Microsoft Teams or or other different chat platforms. We also set up meetings with each other and schedule them in our calendars. So there's actually data indicating the strength of our networks and the frequency of our communications of different people in the organizations. You can also look at the content of communication and see how effectively someone communicates. Ethical issues aside, because there are obviously ethical issues here about privacy, the point stands that there is a lot of data being created by us that allows organizations to evaluate our performance. And so this is super scary, obviously, but it also takes away the the onus or the effort from management to evaluate performance and could outsource it to an algorithm, which could potentially be more objective or depending on who designs it or how it is designed could be systematically biased. So this kind of creates a, a whole new dimension of how we think about performance potentially. Now, of course, this is kind of new technology that we don't have a lot of research on, but I think a lot of what we've talked about in other episodes might be worthwhile bringing up here as well. If you've listened to our unscripted series, uh, I think it was called Of Metrics and Interventions, where we talked about some of the issues that happened in police departments in New York uh, based on a new system implemented to look at performance and how to and rate how crime rate was being handled, et cetera. You have to remember that these systems don't really have any context that is not provided to them by the data. So something to keep in mind here is that you're going to be encouraging people to engage in the behaviors that feed the data used in these algorithms. So if part of what you're doing is basically reading through my email and making sure that I'm communicating in a certain way, humans are eventually going to figure out what exactly is the algorithm picking up and just start using that more often. So systems can be gamed just the same way that they can be gamed in terms of human judgment when you're looking at sort of technology. So these are not going to be entirely infallible systems. They're going to be abused and they're going to focus people's behaviors on the things that are being measured. They totally are. And I think that in one of our previous episodes, we talked about the Cobra effect, which is when you establish a metric um, and hold people to that as a, as a measure of performance or try to maximize that, they start organizing their behavior or censoring their behavior um, to maximize that metric, potentially at the expense of other things. So for example, if you're evaluating someone on email communication, you might have someone never talk to people in person and send everything by email to make it look like they're they're communicating effectively with people in their organization, which is, I, I don't know, it, it has potentially scary implications for uh, the reality of companies. Absolutely. So I, I think even though we've talked about all the problems with the performance appraisal, anytime that you try a new approach, there are bound to be consequences and other potential issues that arise from it. So before you jump onto any new platform that is being offered to you at your organization as a way of handling performance appraisal or performance management that ideally gets rid of all the issues with your current system, take a second to really work through all of the problems that you have with your current system 
and try to forecast what are the problems that might come from adapting this new system or, or taking in this new system into your organization, it's possible you'll start notice that there are similar issues or entirely new issues that maybe we have no evidence for how to handle them or how to attempt to solve them. So thank you very much for listening and, and we're glad to be back. We hope you're, you're happy to have heard that there's a new episode of the podcast out. We have hopefully tried to cover a very complicated topic like performance appraisal and giving you a little bit of a peek at all the different issues that are associated with performance appraisals, as well as what happens if you try to get rid of them. However, there is a lot more out there to cover. So one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to link you to a couple of articles, some of academic articles, but they are open access, so they should be able for you to read, as well as some of the practitioner articles, like Deloitte's new approach to performance appraisal, so you can get a broader perspective of what's actually happening out there with this topic. Another thing that I think we should add is if you have any ideas or additional alternatives to performance appraisals that your company is using or that you've heard about, we would love to hear about it. Um, we listed a few of them and we really don't want to leave people with a, a, a gray view of, of the future of performance appraisal because I think there still is a lot of opportunity to improve and, and create a fair environment for everyone. So if if you have any other ideas or suggestions, we'd, we'd love to hear them. Yeah, perhaps it's something that we could talk about in a future unscripted episode. Some of the a different, a little more unique ideas of how to handle something like performance appraisal out there. And this is not homework, but we would really appreciate it if you would give us a rating <laughs> on iTunes or however you listen to your podcasts, because it helps people discover our podcast, discover our content. And we encourage you to be honest, yet simultaneously generous with your review. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in the spirit of performance appraisal, we would love it if you guys, the listeners, would give us a rating, hopefully a positive one, because it helps us get discovered and bring content like this to more people. And we'd love some some narrative feedback as to what you'd like to see and what you'd like us to improve on. The reality is like everything else, this is kind of an evolving format, an evolving idea, and, and we hope that it can get better over time with your feedback. Yes, please provide us developmental feedback. And if you have any thoughts or ideas, you can email us at mindyourworkpodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at mindyourwork.io. And if you want to find the show notes or listen to more episodes, you can visit our website at mindyourwork.io. I'm Nicholas. I'm Jose. And we'll see you soon. The nice thing is that I have a million of those. Yeah, because <laughs> like that's true, actually. You could just insert one from anywhere. I, I, was... I like doing them every time because they feel like just like a little different, you know? Yeah. Sometimes you're no, like, oh, I'm Nicholas Bremner. I'm really sad. <laughs> I'm Nicholas Bremner. Oh. I guess I'm here. Why am I Nicholas uh... Bremner today? <laughs> Why am I Nicholas? <laughs> just today, though. Tomorrow will yeah. be fine. I'll be myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sometimes you just want to uh... be someone else, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I understand that. <laughs> Sometimes you want to be someone with like no responsibilities. Yeah. Or you want to be like a cat or a dog. Or like or a, a baby. general household. Or like ever, a baby. Yeah, babies are great. baby man. again? Yeah. Babies. Yeah. It's weird Performance how Performance appraisals for babies are very forgiving. 